Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. You know, a lot of directors will go through their lives really trying to make like one great movie. You know, like they're like you they're want chasing. like one movie that like critics would laud, or you get an uh, like Academy Award or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, Rob Reiner decided to make seven movies in a row that we could consider to be all masterpieces. Yeah, kind of maybe I think the single greatest run that anybody has ever had. I think it's a particularly crazy run because they're all back to back. And they're all different genres. Right. It's not like he was like, okay, I'm going to do like seven incredible action movies or seven incredible dramas. It's like, I'm going to do a mockumentary. I'm going to do the greatest rom-com ever written. I'm going to like redefine coming of age movies forever. Right. Make like the template. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And like, wasn't, I feel like Stand By Me is kind of like an introduction to good king adaptations on screen right like this this did something well it's like i feel like there i mean you have carrie you know what i mean but like i think and well i'm sure our guests can weigh in as well (laughs) but i think like at the time and i think i mean there is i think king still sort of has this but i think with the re sort of reclamation of his work and just sort of how every single thing of his is now being adapted right um but like at the time i think he was viewed more as like a little he's a genre guy and like so the genre still at the time was viewed as something and it's still sort of viewed as something more put down upon so like but this is like more just a mainstream drama like if you said like stephen king wrote this i think it's more shocking than if you did it you know what i mean like anybody could have written a coming of age story about yeah, a body versus a horror movie. You it's know? like it's pretty. It's pretty much considered to be an outlier in his work, right? Well, it's just of a different subgenre within his work. I think, you know, I would I would put it in the same category as like a Dolores Claiborne, or um, you know, there are elements of Stand by Me in in other King stories, like say the deeply unfortunate Dreamcatcher. Um, But, uh, you know, it's it's at heart a Castle Rock story. It doesn't have any supernatural elements in it. That's true. But um, I don't think it's a complete outlier. I think it's just him working a little, a little, you know, just without the supernatural, uh, I don't want to say gimmicks, but, you know, without the, the supernatural gimmicks. Feels so. I mean, like all of his work. You know, Stephen King loves writing about Stephen King, but it feels. And I think he said. I think he said it as well. But this feels super personal for him. Like it just feels like this is something ripped. You know, sort of out of his life, and is something that I think then is what makes it so universal and so potent. Is that sort of everyone can kind of latch onto some element of this story whether it be like something that the boys do or a friend that they have or something like there's just a universality of this movie that is just it just fucking gets to me every single time oh, I, mean, I know it you does. know it's like <laughs> probably one of my favorite movies if not in like my top five of all time yeah so oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's a good it's a good one for us to get on the main feed and we are very lucky to be joined by some very special guests today Absolutely. hello I'm Brooke Solomon. Jordan Gustafson. Uh, We love talking about cinema. We love talking about being queer. We love talking about queer cinema. And here we are talking about it on mic. And we are joined today by the 
Stephen King experts, um, Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi from the King cast. Thank you so much for being here. We are, of course, delighted of course. Yeah, to have you. Two King casters. <laughs> See, sorry. I'm, I'm glad sorry. that you made it right off the bat because, like, we got it over I with. Know. We got I, it, it was. Away. I had it. I just. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I don't sorry. get it. You can leave now if you want. I get it. It was a good run we had. We made it about like two minutes in. My only quibble with the intro is the term experts. Uh, I think Eric is an expert. I think I'm still learning shit every time we do a, an episode. Uh, I'm a huge fan, but uh, I'm a very dumb man. And so I'm, 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 and I don't retain knowledge as well as Eric does, like little facts and, and pieces. Uh, my brain is just not wired for that so um but that's my only note on that no but eric, eric deserves the uh the acclaim in terms of it feels like you're setting me up to uh fail spectacularly yeah you have to come in with all of the knowledge here take the, take the <laughs> fucking compliment though <clears throat> i'll take the compliment but i'm also wary that you're gonna like kneecap me like in a zombie movie <laughs> like everyone, like go look at this guy go look at this, this guy is, over here eric is saying this because uh i i tricked tricked him well tricked um we we did a bonus episode of the show at one point and i told him who the guest was but i didn't say what the subject matter was oh. so i was like uh i don't know if y'all know brian collins uh he was a writer at birth movies death and a million other horror sites and uh he's his brain is like rain man for for trivia you know he's oh like he can recite things like at the drop of a hat that you wouldn't he can tell you what movie he saw in like 1997 and at what theater and at what time. And he's probably got the ticket stub for it somewhere. He's Insane. just like obsessive with, with that sort of thing. Um, anyway, so I asked Brian to come in and challenge pit Eric and I against one another as <laughs> in a, in a Stephen King trivia contest, um, knowing full well that I would lose because there's no way um, that I would get it. It's very brave of you. Yeah. Well, not really. I know I was going to fail. Like, so, which I did, I would point out. But, uh, but Eric was ambushed by it a little bit. And um, I, I uh, think he is now wary of any, any surprises when I'm <laughs> building him up beforehand. It's like Chekhov's gun, but it's like Wampler's compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Anything good will be followed You're by. You're not far off. If you hear me saying yeah. something nice, it's usually leading up to something bad. You better run. <laughs> yeah. You're like telling yeah, the story yeah. in this. Yeah. That's okay. Jordan Jordan is gifted or I don't know gifted is the right <laughs> word. Jordan <laughs> is certainly enthusiastic about bit buildup. So I yes. feel like a lot of the time he'll go on what seems to be an innocent tangent and I know, I just know there is something in there that's going to make me want to flip the table. I just like derailing most of the time. So, you know, it's like whatever train we're on, it's like, how can I pull the lever to tangent into something completely irrelevant? You know, yeah. it's fun. We love doing that. Oh, we're very familiar with that. Yeah, yes. so, so you're the me of this show. Yes, that's what I, that's what I was going at, is that every dynamic, there's like every podcast dynamic, there's one person who keeps it on the rails and one who doesn't, and I'm the one who doesn't. So yeah, it is fine. Yes. I don't think anyone would argue that. No. Sometimes, no. you know, the host will be like, oh, no, it's you, it's you. But I know, I think we can all agree. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, what's really funny is that Scott is the one that constantly goes on those tangents and loves to derail the show. But those are his least favorite episodes. And they tend to be my favorite episodes. There was one we did with Mallory, Mallory O'Mara. 
uh recently where he like was like we can't run he was almost like don't run the show because he was so embarrassed about it uh and i'm like this is the funniest thing in the world because we just kept going off on all these random things we talked about robin williams's hairy feet for like five minutes and like all, all he this does crazy have hairy stuff feet, and it's like the most it's the funniest thing and yet the ones that he's always like oh dude this is the best thing ever is all, always the deep dive super serious episodes like we had a uh, isa lopez on the show recently talking about mm-hmm. the shining and he was just like dude this is an all-timer and and it's like one of the least funny shows i mean it, it's funny you know we right. can't help but bring a little humor to everything but it, it, it's it's really interesting that uh if i'm the straight man of this group that like i prefer the the jokey episodes and and scott seems to prefer the the serious ones that may be true but also my main concern with that episode is i drank an entire bottle of champagne on the air and uh was just smashed that's i think the way to do it though my memory of it it was i was completely incoherent but then eric finally talked me into listening to some of it and uh i i seemed far more coherent than i remember we've got a couple we've got a couple iffy iffy apps can't say we haven't done the same but <laughs> and i feel like i fall into the same camp as well whereas most of the sometimes i'll be like brooke like was i too, like were, was i like too jokey like was this okay like i feel like we were derailing too much like god we should really like try to make this more serious and then it's like no like it's no, fine it's fine it's, completely normal and good i like it too and we love tangents so like feel free to tangent as much if as we you want because robin williams does have hairy feet he, just to like confirm i rewatched the birdcage and he, you can see his hairy feet in that movie and i mean pretty much hairy chest everything in that movie yes he's hairy as hell man's, yeah he's made of hair there there's barely a human underneath that hair those were the pre-waxing days you know that's how the whole thing got started <laughs> i was trying to show our guest pictures of uh like bare chested or the back or you know various body parts of robin williams that i could pull up on google images to prove that he was like the hairiest man alive and she just like drew the line and was like i will not look at these photos like and so that's where the conflict was i was like just look at one of them and you'll see what i'm saying you you have to see it yeah (laughs) i get that well i think you know in terms of group dynamics gonna you want to talk real, about some group dynamics? Real in here is the group dynamics of these kids. Yeah. And that I think, I, one question I had is who do you think that you are in the group? Because they are clear cut sort of stereotypes. And I think everyone is one of these people in the group. Who do you think you are? I mean, I Teddy. know that, yeah. That's a good one to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know. If, I don't know if good to be, but like it's a clear person, and he's a supportive. I'm a big. I'm the body. Fan. Yeah, I'm the dead <laughs> kid the, in the woods. The titular body. Great. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, uh, oof. I think I think I might be Vern. Oh fuck! Because I was gonna say I You're feel so more. You're so Gordy. Oh 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 no question. Oh please. I don't. I don't want to. Like I don't know if I want to be. I, I mean, I think I relate probably most to Gordy in terms of just how sad he is. Yes. I'm like, I feel that sad pretty much every day of my life. That was like <laughs> the major. you are probably a Gordy. I guess so. <laughs> I'm like, I, maybe I'm going to cry on my friend's shoulder after finding a dead body. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Well, I think I think that like that is the main factor yeah. as to why I would say that you are Gordy. And I hey, I like crying, yeah. you want you want to like grow up and get out of town. That's true. That's true. I grew up in a very similar town to this, I yes. guess. Yeah. So did I. We're both New Englanders. So yes. like we're both like mega Stephen King 
sort of familiars. I am actually so glad we're talking about him on the pod because my mother is a massive Stephen King fan. And I don't think we've ever talked about anything that she's like super familiar with. So I'm glad for her. But she like is the one that introduced me to Stephen King. Like she loved all his books in high school, like was obsessed with him. Go see all the movies. So so funny. But I had never seen Stand By Me. So you guys don't know this, but Brooke famously growing up only saw like four movies and like two of them were about Jesus. It was like the Passion of the Christ and then something else. You know what I mean? So this is completely huge news for me. There's like Tales, the movie. Exactly. Love Veggie Tales. There's like a six-hour um, epic called Jesus of Nazareth. That's like his whole entire life. I've See? seen that a See? fair number of times. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. But I never saw Stand by Me. I think if so I wild. was a boy, though, my parents would have shown it to me. Oh, absolutely. To be fair. I mean, this was like, I don't, I don't know when the first time I saw it. Like, I've seen this movie the most. I think of any movie in my life, just because how early I was shown it. And then just like kind of keep going it's back to it. It's just sort of like the ultimate summer movie. So like I try to watch it like before the summer just because of it feels just like a nice way to kick off the season. Plus, I love King, as we were saying. And it was the one because my dad introduced me to King. But my dad had the, the view of King where he was like, here's a really famous writer, you know, lives in Maine. You know, you kind of grow up in Maine. So like it's important for you to know about. But he just writes like horror. It's not good. Like none of this good stuff is good. And I'm like okay so you'll show me like like stand by me but then of course me being like 13 and trying to be a rebel or whatever i'm gonna be like oh i'm gonna go read and watch all these movies and so i watch like creep show or like all this stuff and i'm like oh my god stephen king like these are so fucking weird and cool like why was i not introduced to these earlier yeah i mean i'm sure you guys have litigated this a million times on the podcast but like what's your initial experience with stand by me like is this a childhood classic or this was very possibly my first Stephen King movie? I don't think so. I, I, I must have seen, I must have seen one of his scary things before I saw this. But um, I'm a, I think I was five or six when this came out. When this came out, it was like nine or ninety. It was came out in the 86, 80, 87? 86. Yeah. 86. Wow. 86. Yeah. So I was five when it came out. I remember watching <clears> it on video, and my mom was very okay with me watching r-rated stuff and all this stuff but i remember very specifically before i could watch this she like sat me down going i don't know if we should watch this because it has bad words in it and i'm like <laughs> Will you let me watch the fly like you know and some he pukes on a dude's hand and melts it you know it's like like well, well what's so wrong with this one but you know the, it opens with with the kids in the treehouse and they're they're smoking and cursing at each other and like in even at like six seven whenever it was that i watched this i was like okay this well, we didn't smoke. My friends and I didn't smoke. But like when kids get together and they're not around adults, you know, they bring out all the words that they hear, you know, at oh, home. Oh, of course. Day. Whether or not they know what they mean or not, you're just swearing. And you're like, I think a fuck goes here. But like, I don't know. <laughs> no, it turns into a Tarantino movie when, when you put like seven and eight year old especially <laughs> yeah. boys yes. together. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like they don't know the words, but they're happy to say it and they love saying it and they can only say it in this one little sliver of time when there's no parental supervision so you know every other word is the f word and and um i remember i mean i loved it straight away and and i think that the core to this and the the core to the original story which i would find later reading it um it's very closely adapted there's very few tangents actually there's there's whole pages of the novella that you read that it looks like the screenwriter just said well they got it so like dialogue like even down a direction you know 
it is it is a very closely adapted story um but it, it was always a favorite of mine like from from the get-go i'm like you i watched it over and over and over again as a kid there's something about those relationships and the fact that this kind of weaponized nostalgia mm-hmm. is also grounded in a reality we can all recognize that yeah. it's, it's it's a very unique combination that coming of age movies have tried to uh replicate sense but they nobody's ever done it as good as uh rob reiner did mm-hmm. yeah and i think uh i think i saw this i think it was it must have been the first king movie i saw <clears throat> and i was not even aware it was a king movie at that point you know mm-hmm. it was just a movie my parents were watching uh and that must have been you know late 80s uh i remember being very young uh but immediately recognizing the dynamic of these kids you know it's the same between any friend group you mentioned the universality of it and you nailed it with that i mean that's that's clearly what this is uh and so i responded to it very strongly um it wasn't for a few more years after that that i actually saw the shining which i think was my first scary king movie unless i had snuck screenings of like pet cemetery on hbo after my folks went to bed or something like that (laughs) but um yeah that's how i remember it but also my memory is like notoriously unreliable so you know (laughs) it's it's and i'm 90 years old now so it's it's hard to remember exactly when (laughs) Uh, what order I saw things in. It's interesting with childhood movies too. I feel like they just become like a part of the general nostalgia that you get of like growing up. Like I don't remember like what age I watched this oh, or that or God, the other yeah. thing. It just sort of like is part of what you watch growing up. Yeah. Um, I think the first <laughs> King I saw was actually Carrie in mm. high school. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a fun one. The, oh, the, so the, the remake, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. With Chloe Grace yeah, Moretz. Of course. Yeah, 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 a great, yeah. A, fam- a famously great movie. Yikes. I should probably I should watch that. I should watch that one day. You know what? Have you I seen it? You, yeah, I don't think you need to. I, I think I think if you stick with the first one, it's okay. Such a yeah terrible decision. There was a phenomenon that was sort of specific to Eric and I's generation, in that I think there are, you know, TV. God, I'm gonna sound like such a fucking old man right now. You're famously 90. It's okay. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, uh, we'll allow it. The, uh, the TV was not what it... Back then, TV was, looked nothing like it does now. You know, we had like a maximum of... We, like my family had cable. And I think we had maybe 50 channels. And that was it. You know, and a lot of that was like a fucking public access channels with like fishing going on and there were the news networks there were the major networks but then you had like you know uh hbo cinemax and and showtime and i was like way when we got our cable boxes in the house i loved hbo like there was kids programming on there in the mornings like brain games do you remember that eric and like Mm -hmm. encyclopedia no No? I i remember the dirty stuff i remember dream on Oh, I remember that too. But like morning HBO was like for kids. You know, it was like clearly like programming they were putting in there for like kids to watch while they were, you know, getting ready for school or whatever. But then like during the day, it was just a free for all. And they would run essentially the same, I don't know, 30, 40 movies every month. And some of those carried over month to month. So there's this weird generation, like, uh, you know, like early 80s kids 
who grew up in households where they were repeatedly exposed to the same movies over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again by mm -hmm. HBO. And so those just became comfort blanket movies. Stand By Me was one of those. Clue mm -hmm. was another one of those. Oh, We've, a classic. Yeah. Uh, I saw Clue fucking 40 times growing up. You know, like whenever it was on, I would just stop what I was doing and watch it, you know? Um, but and it wasn't of, something you could pick. That, that's something that's right, really right. interesting because this is pre-Netflix. Like if you wanted to pick oh, yeah. a movie, you had to go rent it. Right. Like, yeah. This one, you turned it on and it was Russian roulette. What was on? Oh, cool. It's this one. There's nothing yeah. else to do. There's no YouTube to get right. lost in. There's, you know, there's not, it's either watch that or the news or some, you know, televangelist channel. And yeah. so you were just watching the same, like Scott was saying, the same movies over and over again. Monster Squad was one of those for me where that was always on. And, uh, and, and then it just wasn't one day and it just went away. And, and yeah. I remember it felt like gold. I found it at a used copy at a video store when I was a teenager of Monster Squad. And it was like, I was running around like, oh my God, this is, you know, seven ninety nine, and I have this forever on VHS. So it, it was uh, a definitely a different world for movie geeks uh, than, than uh, the kids growing up today. I know. We're like perfect cuss kids. Like we remember the VHS days extremely yeah. well. Like especially like the, as you were saying, like movies that would be on like all the time. Like I feel like I like we just would have like the TNT movies or like as you were saying, like the HBOs that like are so seared into my brain. But I like like recently, like I would watch one of those movies in full but I realized like, oh, I've ever like never actually like seen the entirety of the movie because you would always sort of pick it up at like a third in or like 20 minutes to the end. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you'd only, or like, yeah, there was like, no DVR. <laughs> right. Right. You're like, I'm going to watch 20 minutes of this. And then I guess I'll like go play outside. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you would graduate at a certain point from like, okay, you'd realize TV guide will tell you in advance what's on and you can plan for it. But like that, that's kind of like a more professional move. Like when you're a kid, it's just whatever's on is on. But like when you, I remember when I discovered TV guide would have the listings for the entire week and my parents always got TV guide. So uh, I would like go through and like make my plan. Like, oh, I know I'm going to be at home on this weekend or whatever. I'm, or I'm going to go to a friend's house. And if they have, if they have HBO, this is going to be on. And if they don't, then like you said, on the, the non, uh, uh, the non-cable channels, you know, they'll they'll run movies. It's like, oh, this will be on, but it won't be as good because there isn't going to be any cursing or boobs, you know. Right. It's like, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it just uh, it, it's it's funny. I'm semi nostalgic for that era, but I'm also not that guy that like loves the nostalgia of the VHS look. Like, fuck that. I'm a movie fan. I like seeing. Give me 4K. You show me that original clear. aspect ratio. Yeah. Word, like I, word. I don't miss rewinding <laughs> shit. It's like, yeah. like all that stuff. I'm real glad is in the past. But you know, the, I have to admit that there is a little nostalgia there, even though it feels like we're off on a random tangent. No, it's Stand by me is all yeah. about the nostalgia. So this is totally. like the quintessential when kids used to go play outside movie. This is like what everyone. Totally. This is the ideal of what people think kids did before right. the big bad internet came. So they went on adventures. Did you guys play outside? Were you guys like adventurous and outside? Go on on little mini stand by me. Oh, like, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's something that's kind of lost on most kids today. I know my nephews who who are, you know, that's my entryway into kids today. They're 10 <laughs> yeah. and 13. And, you know, they're just home. They're either at home or they're at sleepovers. Like that's the mm -hmm. only thing they don't ride bikes they don't go out you know and like if they were not at home you know uh, w 
not under adult supervision for like an hour, like their parents would freak the fuck out. It's like, but that was just reality for, for us growing up. Like I was a latchkey kid. I would come mm-hmm. home and my mom would be at work. Mm-hmm. So I'd just take the bus and then I'd walk through my neighborhood and, you know, go up to my apartment and, and, you know, just take care of myself. Like that's, that doesn't seem like an option today, you know? No. Totally. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I like with this movie, I feel like that's why, I related so much because, like, I remember, like, I would go away with, like, with friends and we'd, like, spend so much of the night, like, running through the woods playing, like, different games or, like, we just go, like, romping around, like, making up stories or, like, singing or, like, fighting with, like, stick swords, you know what I mean? Like, and all this, like, bullshit. But, like, that's what makes this movie so potent is, like, even if, like, the kids didn't do something that was so similar, I'm like, oh, wow, like, I, like, had a Chris Chambers, like, friend. You know, or like, it was not more, less, more, like more of them were like Vern's, but (laughs) you know what I mean? It was like, we all had that sort of relationship. And like, I miss, like, while I never had like the leeches, I was like, we would go and just get like ticks all over us. I would just like go home and just like legs covered in ticks. And you're just like, this is disgusting. But like, it's not like I yearn for that or anything. Like, I don't want to be infested with ticks, but I'm like, I loved sort of this movie captures it in the end where it was like they all feel so happy at the moment it's like the best feeling where you're like so completely just a kid and you're sort of free from knowing the real burden of the rest of your life and it's like that is something that i think like i have a little bit of nostalgia for and i think as we were saying like with this movie there's so much nostalgia kicked in that's sort of impossible to avoid that conversation yeah yeah no and I think like it really speaks to like you were saying with making up stories and stuff this kind of like fantasy world that you get to live in with your friends when you're a kid I also grew up like literally in the middle of nowhere on a farm in New Hampshire like I was always outside my sister and I like running around in our woods like we couldn't get into any trouble. There's nothing out there besides us and like maybe some deer. Just the Blair Witch. I was just yeah, saying exactly. a pet cemetery oh. off in the distance. Blair Witch ruined me. I couldn't go outside for like three months at <laughs> least. It was so terrible. Um, But yeah, it's like you find ways to fill the time and like you can really unlock like your creative potential, even if your creative potential is trying to storm the beaches at Normandy right. or whatever it is. Or tell well, a story of a pie eating contest. Yeah. 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 How do you feel about that story? Uh, it's like the most horror in the, I would say the movie. I feel like it's the mm-hmm. exact kind of story that 12 year old boys oh, would absolutely. tell to each other. Absolutely. Because you're just yeah, like, yeah. it's just like everyone's a little bit of a stereotype. The old people are terrifying in it when they're chanting at him. It like, or like making the noises. Boom, you know baba, I mean? boom, baba. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, this is so scary. And then it ends with a bunch puke of everywhere. puke yeah. as all stories. Like boy stuff does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like boys exactly. love puke. It's that or farting. Gonna... It would be one of those two things. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that scene always weird me out because the kid playing Lardass, like you keep, they describe as like a kid our age. And I'm like, that dude's 25. He's fully yeah. an adult. Yeah. Fully yeah, an It looks adult. like Ben Platt and like Dear Evan Hansen. Grown up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Kid our age, lard ass Hogan. Like, no, that that kid's like, you know, delivering your mail. He's like <laughs> three of you, yeah. A whole man. He's the young teacher at the school. <laughs> yeah. Three kids in a trench coat. I always love that scene. That that scene was something that it, it was it's a little island within the movie because you get I, I mean, I I was the the kind of nerdy reading writing kid in my group, going back to the original question the right uh, at the very beginning of the show like i i may look like a Vern, but i'm definitely more of a gordy at heart and um 
because uh, I've never been that guy that that is because Vern is very thirsty for attention, right? He's he's that kid that in that group he's always clamoring for attention. I've never been the Chris Chambers of of a of a group. Chris Chambers is just the de facto. You look at him, you know he's the he's the alpha, right? The Whether cool he one. wants to be or not, that's just how it works. And there's always one in every friend group. There's one that it becomes the leader that they defer. Like if if three people in the four person group are like uh, I want to go to the lake and he goes I you know I want to I want to go to the go get a burger or something then everybody right, you're getting gets fucking burgers yeah. Yeah. you know <laughs> yeah I mean that that's just that's just the, the way it is um but you know I I I love that that is kind of Gordy's moment to shine that that's where you know within Chris's mind like Gordy is the superstar of the group um and and that's where he you know he tells everybody to shut up and let you know let him tell the story and when when Corey feldman's character doesn't get it you know or whatever he was just you know he stands up for gordy like uh all all that stuff i i love that 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 scene while it's an island and you get that little cutaway away from the main story and it's you know it's it's really fun and funny um that it adds a complexity to the to the relationship that the kids have that you know as somebody who kind of saw themselves as gordy the fact that he didn't have a a parent you know that was supportive of what he did Mm. he had an older brother that isn't there anymore that was supportive of what he did but he has nobody he's a lonely lonely kid except he has this one true friend who is you know if this was a teenage movie they would come off as broy right you know right. yo bro you're the best bro but like because it's it's preteens you know it's kind of this more pure you know mm-hmm. less machismo thing and uh, yeah. so i i've always loved that you know uh, as a kid for reasons i thought was just cuz it's a funny thing but you know growing up and analyzing it a little bit more it was because of what it does to that group <clears throat> dynamic it doesn't just make it so cut and dry yeah once you hit puberty the the conversation stopping about puke and farts and it starts being about you know getting laid right you yeah. know which no one's There's getting laid at like 14 15 but that's when it, the the hormones kick in and you're like right you think you're talking about it you're like oh i'm cool yeah but no you have no, and no idea. one like everyone's making fun of each other for masturbating and no one's admitting to it and everyone's just, like but everyone like every single person is just churning hog whenever they get a chance you know <laughs> just furiously masturbating at all times you know well as gordy says left hand or right hand in the movie you know when he asks uh, teddy relax with my thoughts right well it's like that's yeah. as you were saying this it's sort of this movie so beautifully sort of straddles i think that in between period where they can make like the puke stories and jokes, but there's also like sort of the like just on the cuffs starting to like understand like sexuality and stuff like that. And there is really like that definitive period in our lives where it's like that like leap over. But just before, because I want to like touch on that again, but just something you had said about Teddy where he like doesn't get the story. I feel like I forgot about that on this rewatch then rewatching it. And it's just Teddy critiquing him on how he thought it should end is just the sum in like distillation of internet culture nowadays and it really fucking hit me how hard it was was like teddy would be would be that dude that that would be screaming at ryan johnson for fucking up star wars yes he would have been red pilled yes no question this is how it would have been more badass it'd be like cut kylo ren in half and right yeah yeah totally you're like oh my god 
And it, maybe it's just because I'm so worn down by the internet age, but it's just like anytime I see that, like someone critiquing a storyteller, you're just like, oh, fucking God, not again. But good to know it's always been around. Right. Yeah. It's a perfect scene because everybody who does it, when they put up their own ideas, you go, you have n- no idea what, <laughs> what you're doing and you have the worst, worst ideas of, of all time. So yeah. maybe let, let, that, uh, <laughs> let the professionals <laughs> handle that one. Something to think about. Yeah. <laughs> But you were saying about like the intimacy between sort of Gordy and this friendship. And I think that that at least for where for our podcast was where I think sort of this movie sings is that Gordy's arc as like a, you know, bisexual man, maybe being closeted for so long, like his arc, I think resonated with me because while he, he says like, he's weird when Gordy talks about, he's like weird with Chris and sort of this relationship that he has, but like a lot of his, arc and sort of like a lot of his coming of age is really about like finding out who he is and like the comfort like being comfortable with his weirdness being okay like moving on from his friends and like becoming like who like a new version of himself and like being comfortable with that version and I think that that is sort of not for everyone but I think is such a universal sort of queer theme for a queer men women you know not by whatever but like for me specifically I was like this feels so potent and realistic and then especially like his dynamic with Chris is where you look at the friendships that he has with Vern or Teddy and sort of like their immaturity but the tenderness between Chris and Gordy is just so potent and emotional it's like you very rarely get to see someone open up like that and especially like two men and even though they're young and like we were a little more open then it's still sort of an intimacy that I don't think we often see Um, on screen or you know between male characters specifically yeah i didn't realize you were talking about yourself at the beginning so sorry that i accidentally validated you for a sec there no but look i think that like it's a very interesting age to think about like the characters in this movie because like i feel like particularly at this age and obviously like speaking a little bit as an outsider but so many relationships between boys this age like are built on likes and dislikes and all the normal friendship stuff but they're also like weirdly combative Mm. and aggressive and like a part of being friends with someone has to be built on the fact that like you can screw around with each other it's like essential right it needs to happen you can't necessarily have like the aspect of vulnerability or it makes you not be as good friends um because it feels like this sort of alien othering Thing. <clears throat> that that does transcend age too i am you know as we established i'm 90 years old now yes, and i yes. have uh fellow fellow 90 year olds that i am friends with and our some i have some friends our entire relationship is built on sniping at each other at all times mm. you know like um fucking uh phil nobile jr who runs fangoria like yeah. i love phil like a brother you know we have been to the trenches together i don't know how many times but um Usually when you see us interacting with each other, it's one of us breaking the other one's balls, you know, and we do that private, privately, it gets even more heated, but like, (laughs) you know, um, that's like, that's the relationship we have. I, I, and I, I, I do think though, that, um, also Phil's a very funny guy. He's very dryly funny and vicious when he wants to be in, in, in jokes. And I'm largely the same way. You know, you put two people like that together, they, they, I think they do love getting roasted, 
and being able to deal it out too. It's totally, great. totally. As long as everyone involved can take it, you know, and no one's like, you know, getting mad about it at the end of the day. Like, um, one of my favorite things is to just get in a fucking argument with him, you know? Right. You know, so that, that, that does carry on from from childhood i i hadn't really totally. thought about that but that's that's true yeah and i think that like you know chris and gordy in this movie i love them my boys and i think like that like inc- insane performances for kids literally crazy we'll 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 get back yeah. to that mark my words yeah. but like the fact that they are sort of able to have like this really lovely relationship with each other that feels like it has the kind of like as Jordan loves to say, tenderness and male intimacy that you wouldn't usually see from kids this age because, like, the last thing that you want to do is, like, admit your weaknesses, particularly right. to your friends that are going to give you shit about oh, it absolutely. for the next gonna get, like, six months. Yeah. yeah, two for flinching. Like, the fact that they're able to sort of, like, achieve that relationship is yeah. really special. And I know that there's a lot of references in the novella to sort of, like, Chris and I had a really special relationship. It was different than like the relationship I had with Teddy or Vern. Even Mm -hmm. in high school, we both dated, but like a girl never got between the two of us. It was like this really special thing that remained. So I think that that is interesting to think about. Totally. As you know, you guys are king experts, but not experts, uh, as you said. But I think this is like a theme that runs throughout a lot of King's work is that, you know, as... As a Massachusetts boy, you know, we're two New England people. It's very easy to spot in like, well, with my writing or like with his writing, you recognize sort of like queer tropes or like writing a queer person who's not necessarily like out, but it's like very coded. Like he, like, I mean, like with it, if we want to talk about it, like Richie and Eddie. Oh, completely yeah. coded. Please. I mean, then you have like within the novel of it, you have like the Patrick and Henry stuff and Pennywise is pretty much like the most coded like queer villain you have. And in The, the Shining, walk. right. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. Salem's Lot has, but it's like, he very rarely has like outwardly queer characters, but a lot of like the queer characters will be like so deeply coded or like if he has a queer character, it'll be killed off. So it's like sort of easy with Chris and, oh my God. Gordy. Gordy. Jesus. I was going to say River and, uh, wow. But it's so easy to read into them. Will Wheaton. Like, yes. Will Wheaton. Um, sorry. Will Wheaton. <laughs> But, like, it's so easy to read it to that relationship because it feels so similar to, like, a Richie and an Eddie or, you know, like, any of the other dynamics that he'll get into down the line. Yeah. I do. Would you? I don't know, Scott and Eric, if you've ever talked about it as sort of, like, a hallmark of his work. I know Scott mentioned off mic that you guys have talked to Brian Fuller before, which, first of all, like, so literally cool. amazing. Yeah. Uh, let's hope he doesn't listen to the, any of our shows because it's, like, 50% of the time is me being like, oh, Brian Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we're just like Brian Fuller. Like Brian Fuller, I, I just want I just want to inter- interrupt very quickly to say Brian Fuller is the fucking best. Mm-hmm. Just the best. That's so cool. He has. I love that guy so yeah. fucking much. Like he, um. I'm like getting choked up talking about Brian Fuller. Fuck I love this. Really this is I beautiful. love this. Yes. He's, he's gone to the mat for us. He's fucking, he's, 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 uh, helped us out a couple times when we needed a hand on something. He has, um, he comes on the show and blows our minds every single fucking time. He's one of the smartest people I've ever encountered in my life. And you could just listen to him talk for six hours and not get bored with it. You know, um, 
just one of my favorite people. I've, I've, I've actually not met Brian um, in real life. Like the entire relationship that Eric and I have with him is, is you know, online. But yeah. uh, my God, that, that, that man is beautiful. That doesn't make it any less potent, though. Yeah. Like just because it's online, you know? No, no, I don't think so. And, you know, uh, I am very certain that uh, we're all going to end up in a room one day, you know, for one reason or another. And I cannot wait to get a beer with that dude. But, uh, man. A room or a... an asylum. One, one yeah. of those two. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a room in an asylum. Just like the the uh, yeah. best. That's that's all I wanted to say. That's <laughs> no, so, no, that's so like no. Brian, Brian's one of our our yeah. He's one of our favorite guests, and um, and every time he's come in twice. Well, three times if you count our anniversary show. But he did two full episodes for us. He did Salem's Lot and Christine, and both mm-hmm. times he approached those, um, both of those topics through a, a queer lens. Like he had queer readings on both of those that are fascinating and we kind of came to the conclusion i think in the christine episode where we were like we don't think that stephen king who's very much a 1950 straight white guy you know yes guy we we very we don't think that he intended any of the the weird uh like angles that brian was coming up for like you know he viewed christine as a trans allegory and yeah and like and he's able to back that up you know and and, and you go holy shit that makes a whole lot of sense um and uh, but uh what we came to the conclusion was that what king's very talented at is writing as we mentioned the word outsider a lot he he's very talented at mm-hmm. at making outsiders main characters and so that gives you know queer readers uh you know a, a window you know an entry into you know otherwise straight stories absolutely and and uh and he said that just him growing up you know as a as a gay man you know he's a gay kid uh, reading these things you know he was reading it from a whole different angle but he was able to have room to do that because of the way king empathetically always writes about the outsider right and uh and that's true you go i mean gordy and in this one you know there's not one of those kids even though there's an alpha within the main group there's not one of those kids that's not an outsider you know it's uh you know Vern's, you know a big dumb puppy dog you know teddy's you know uh next to crazy and, and traumatized uh, yeah. a delinquent but not by choice and you know and gordy's family is is falling apart and you know he's a shy quiet kid it's like none of those are the the cheerleader and and jock and if even if stephen king wrote about the cheerleader and jock they would be outsiders too that's just how they and mm-hmm. how that and that's his default that's what he what he always does so um, yeah, so I I think that if there's a we can't give King high marks for having you know outwardly and openly gay characters you know do do much in in uh, especially his early work you know except you know getting killed by Pennywise you know yeah right yeah Adrian's death is not I would say the best representation but hey we'll get we'll get to it at some point. <laughs> but it's also interesting i reread that recently and and i went into that section going oh because it's right at the beginning yeah so right. and yeah it's like oh man i'm gonna brace myself for it but i was actually surprised by an early 80s mm. uh early to mid 80s mm. novel was not only was adrian like a sympathetic character he was somebody who 
like is written about sympathetically what you know the 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 evil of the town you know is just evil because they were picking on people like adrian right and i I was actually surprised going back and reading it just how again sympathetic king was to that character um i mean he's very he's painted in broad strokes it's not he's a very minor character so it's just like you know the equivalent of Patton oswald has a bit about the gay best friend you know he's (laughs) kind of that that way and it's just kind of that that almost traditional hollywood like you know that that is the defining thing of this character is he's gay right you know it's not that he he's a character within himself but he's only in there for like you know 10 15 pages so it is remarkable Um, though that he worked that character into that book at that time you know during the AIDS crisis and all that you know like it's the the AIDS crisis and and Eddie Murphy's stand-up. <laughs> it was yes. also that, that that era where it was totally, totally cool to you know to to dunk nonstop on on the gay folks. So right. Mm-hmm. I I just want to say that I I don't um. You know there are people where there's two kinds of people, right? There's two kinds of straight people. I think <laughs> where <Yes>. <laughs> where <laughs> if you get a if you put a queer interpretation in front of them, they will argue that it is not explicit in the text and therefore it does not exist. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. uh, there's another group and I, I feel like, I can't speak for Eric, but I think I'm right here. I, I think both of us are in this, the other side of it where it's like, I find this shit fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. As a oh, straight yeah. man, sure. I would, ne- I would sure. never, it would never occur to me about like, you know, uh, Chris and, and, um, uh, George. Gordy. <laughs> Poor George Gordy. Gordy. We're forgetting Gordy left and right. Poor it's man. all good. Georgie. I had a, I had Georgie. A, Georgie. Is, no, I'm a Stephen up. King expert, okay? I remember <laughs> from four minutes ago. <laughs> I, I, um, I forgot, Teddy. We had Will Wheaton on the show, and oh, uh, wow. we were talking about Stand By Me, and, and he, uh, uh, I'm talking to him, like, enthusiastically as i'm talking about this now because i love that movie and uh and i forgot teddy's name and like will like uh 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 cory feldman's kid and he's just like i'll help you out y'all you know teddy his name's teddy i'm like oh fuck <laughs> i fucked it up right and i fucked it up in front of gordy with the, the the lead my overall point being though that i love the interpretation of art just as mm-hmm. an act right yes and uh i think because art is so subjective i'm about to say the most basic shit in the world right now not you know all (laughs) all all interpretations of it must be considered and uh i'm particularly fascinated by this this rise in what i've found in in queer readings of stuff because it's like you know again it just wouldn't occur to me and then it's a new way to look at a thing and it makes it more interesting and i don't understand why why anyone would want less ways to think about a thing totally like you already know what you think about it so wouldn't you want like another take on it to sort of be like that's interesting that adds a new level to it you know whether it's explicitly there or not i i think is irrelevant if the if the case can be made then then that's all that that matters and if you can't get on board with that i think you're just bad at interpreting art or knowing how to do that yeah i think that's so i mean you said from like a straight point of view and how like some like you're like learning like these new queer perspectives and honestly like i think for me i don't want to speak for you as well but like doing the podcast and sort of like since coming out i have been faced or like we've seen 
these works. So like, I feel like, you know, you have your top guns are the ones that people always talk about where it's like the queer subtext, but like we found these movies where like I had gone my whole life, never knowing this. And so then being queer and then being presented with sort of another like queer perspective is just sort of so enlightening. And I think that it's, it's one of those things, especially like if we're going to talk about like horror and stuff, like we've talked a lot about like a lot of horror has like queer, undertones and growing up watching a lot of horror i like would never really notice it and so it's so fun to go back and like reappraise these things from like a queer lens and whether or not you were saying like they fulfill or they like feel like the take necessarily is like i fully 100 percent believe it but it's at least like provides new context for the art and like the whole point you know like movies are these things as you were saying it's basic as fuck but like (laughs) it's so fun to constantly like reappraise and see how like a film changes over time and what it means to people and like how its meaning and sort of like where it sticks in the pop culture zeitgeist changes and especially i think like as you know queer voices get louder and like queerness becomes more accepted that like these movies will start to like become more popular or like the representation will change and so it's just it's just such a fascinating like fulcrum point that we're in in the conversation around like films and like how people are viewing them yeah it's about like kind of knocking these films wide open uh like you're saying scott in like one avenue of many like if you have a take that's great i mean we have take we've done some wild takes did home alone and that was sweaty Um, we did it but totally worth it um yeah it's it's just it's kind of like once you see it you can't unsee it but there's so many different ways to see a piece of media that like the more you explore different interpretations the more like deep and complex the piece of media becomes and like that is what media crit and analysis is all about like taking the source material and really like blowing it wide open and that's why it's so great art is like this ever-evolving thing that changes based on people watching it and reading it right what would and the great thing of like a painting you love it just just for variety's sake with a different color palette you know right. what i mean like mm-hmm. it's it's that's <laughs> that reminds me of like mondo posters and they have like a reg and a variant there's oh, like a straight so and a gay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> like, Are you a straight Mondo poster or a gay Mondo yeah. poster? <laughs> Depends on the Mondo poster. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Very true. You know, but uh, but yeah, that's it's. I just find all of this shit like really, really, truly fascinating, and uh, I'm glad to see that the the generation beyond behind ours, because I don't know that we're, you know, we've done as good of a job of exploring that as as much as many of us would like to be uh good allies to the that the younger generation is is bringing focus to this which isn't to say like like i've heard some wild ass takes like <laughs> yes <laughs> here's here's the queer reading on like this movie and you're like what the fuck are they t-? like yes the connecting of those particular dots is so obscure that you're like okay you're reaching on this one but um it's all about being able to back it up yeah yeah Yeah. it it really is gotta have a thesis yeah and what eric was saying earlier about you know king being so great at um you know capturing the idea of an outsider you know or uh someone who is not of the what what would traditionally be considered the mainstream or 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 whatever um King's King is exceptionally good at that. And and it does afford us these, these readings on it. And I love, I'd love hearing them every fucking time. They just, <laughs> I wouldn't think of them myself, you know? 
It's cool to hear ideas that you wouldn't think of yourself, I think. That's the great thing about art in general, though. I mean, this the different readings and different perspectives, like, just illustrate the commonalities we all share. Like, mm-hmm. we can, you, you can totally. look at the the Gordy-Chris relationship and, you know, I me viewing it as a straight man, you know, I see it as, as like, true friendship. I can also see, you know, see that vulnerability being you know, uh, that there's more, there's more of an emotional relationship there, you know, but doesn't, you know, the, but the genius thing about it being tweens doing this is that it takes a sexual component out of it. Yeah, exactly. Even if if they, you know, I mean, kids, kids like, Oh, you know, look at each other's dicks. Like that's just what they do. Right. So I'm sure that, that, that group did it in the, in the book, they go like, uh, skinny dipping at a certain right. point right yeah. so it's like you know I, I think that the whole leeches scene actually in the book is is they just they're 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 like naked right and that that's just you know your first like exploration of other people's bodies is almost always a friend you know you know boys girls you know boys and boys girls and girls it mixes up you know it's like that's just that's just how it is, but there, it's not pre pre puberty. It is not the weird, you know, thing. Yes. There's not all that other angles and shit mixed up in there. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, so the genius of this being, and this is to to this day, and I'll argue this because I see movies called coming of age movies all the time. I'm like, that ain't a coming of age movie. You can't have a coming of age movie set at fucking prom. It's no. like that. That ain't gonna happen. You know, coming of age is a very specific like time period between being a kid and then being not a kid and that's what this movie is and that's why it, it's a little bit bittersweet because and it's also hits home like at the very end whenever they're all you know th- this is their last hurrah not just as a group but that's the last hurrah of their childhoods right because the next year they're going from what junior high to high school right so it's yeah. like they're going to different schools you know they're not going to see each other they're they're growing up seeing the body and the decision to not take the credit for it and you know be famous for it the the weight of the reality of mortality and death you know is what shepherds them from being you know goofy kids to Mm -hmm. being a little bit more somber and that's what that tone that rob reiner hits at the end there is incredible when you think about it just how that walk back you know when they say maybe this shouldn't be a party you know that's like the inkling of, of that's right before they find the body and that's like you know, that's the inkling of responsibility in adulthood that's right there. And it is, you know, I'll never forget just the feeling you have. It's this like coming down feeling because you have the confrontation with the bullies and then they decide to to cover the body back up. And then the walk home, just the way the music is, it's like a, a sad version of, of the Stand By Me music, right? It's like, it, it's just somber. It is this that that is showing the transition into adulthood there they are different people when they when they come back and and um you know i don't know that that's what the movie captures so the the novella is obviously that's what that's about but just with you know audio and visual the visually the movie just just really nails it oh it's totally pitch perfect i mean it's amazing like you were saying earlier jordan about how like being a kid and the sort of like general nostalgia is all caught up in like not having to have responsibilities and like the burden of adulthood and like this is literally the moment that they are confronted with like this big scary thing of death and realize that like the burden of adulthood is something that they're staring down the barrel of um it's like how they all individually react too because right. they all like teddy and Vern really don't want to sort of face it where it's like teddy 
constantly is sort of like joking about it. He's like, I'm in the prime of my youth. Like when they're smoking, he's like, I cherish these moments. It's, it's like, he's tr- like, he's like obviously like played as a joke, but it's like, he's trying to dodge, you know, his own respective trauma from his father and the burden that he like feels from that. And also like the fear of losing these friends by like putting up these walls and like these jokes around himself. So that way, like he like doesn't have to think about aging. Whereas Chris is more like trying to pull Gordy to like face it like because Gordy's like no I like don't want to go to like the next school like I don't want to face these emotions and you Chris gotta is face like, it you fucking loser like bullshit bull true you motherfucker if you don't <laughs> yeah. fucking face like this adulthood thing like you're gonna end up fucked and die and like that's what happens to Chris because he feels like a wise old sage almost in the fact that he sort of like knows you know his respective law in life and like he's sort of older than the rest of these boys are yeah that line at the end when adult gordy is talking about how he hadn't seen chris in 10 years but when he found out that he died that he knew he'd miss him forever is like so poignant and like really gets (sighs) me that it's like it really you need people to help shape you during this period of your life because you're gonna get shaped whether you like it or not so like I mean, it's like Chris says, if your parents aren't going to take care of you, then like someone has to. And I guess it's going to have to be me. It's it's great. So fucking gutting. And then the music, as you were saying too, my God, the soundtrack to this, I forgot. Oh, such a good soundtrack. I mean, not the pop songs and then also just like the quiet theme that plays throughout. And it's just full of like melancholy where you're like, oh, I yearn for this. But you're also like, why am I really getting fucking depressed right now? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's reminding you that you lost that. I mean, every right. th- there's a very specific <laughs> yeah, tone and feel that, you know, that happens at that age. And you can only be there in it. And I think that's why that that line is so poignant where he's like, nobody has friends like they did when they were, what, 12, I think he says. Yeah. 12 or 14, I don't remember. It's like, you know, Jesus, you know, does anybody. And it, because it's true, it, it's, what's crazy about that is like, I don't, I'm, I'm not in contact with anybody that I was palling around with when I was 12. No. Not, 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 not a person. Like I, I ran into a friend of mine, a guy named Troy, who was like, we were friends in high school and we went to different high schools. And he was in my neighborhood. And so we would see each other over the summers. We'd like do sleepovers and stuff. But like the, it, we, our relationship was a version of that ending of Stand By Me where we, he just slowly faded away from my life. And I ran into him at working. He was working at a Chewy's, <laughs> which is a, a, one of my favorite Tex-Mex restaurants here. And like he just was happening. He was working at the bar. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Troy. And it was like 10 years later. Now he didn't, you know, get stabbed in the neck. I don't think, but uh, <laughs> yet. Know, but that was my. Really <laughs> but, but but that wasn't like a thing where we're like, oh shit, we need to start hanging out. It was just a, yeah. you know, a, a nod of acknowledgement of like that was we spent our formula formulative years together, and um, and uh, you, you even, know it was good how, to see you again. And then we like parted ways, and he I've never seen him again. So that is an interesting thing though that that. Uh, <laughs> where you encounter someone you haven't talked to in 10 or 15 years, you know, and they were very important to you at that period of time. <laughs> I do think that like, that's, that's a weird thing. There's not a name for it either, but that it, it happens very rarely, but I think we've all experienced it where you run into somebody that used to matter to you like yeah. a lot <laughs> and they still do in a way, but also you're like too much has happened at this point. Right. Like I'll never get you caught up you know and (laughs) and frankly like i don't i don't truly really need to know what's been going on with you like i'm i'm very larry david-ish about that sort of thing you know uh 
It's one of the reasons I finally got rid of Facebook. <laughs> Great decision. I think that's the, 10 yeah. out of 10. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's the weird thing that the internet age has like really tried to clamper on is that like you can maintain these friendships that you had in high school or whatever. And it's like, as you were saying, Eric, like I haven't talked to a person from high school or like middle school. Like I had distinctly like a best friend growing up from like when I was born all the way till like sixth grade. And then the minute like we went to like the next, like that was it. And like having like checked in with him, he like, I would go back home. We wouldn't see each other. And it's like, I feel like the allure of the internet age is like, you can keep like these friendships alive. Like, don't you want to like still talk to this middle school friend of yours? And it's like, I don't think so. And I don't really really. like, no, because it's like, we've, we've gone our separate ways. And like at the time that was the relationship I needed, but I don't need this relationship anymore. And that's sort of like, it's so weird to think about like, it really did send me, I'm like, fuck, I, there were so many people that used to matter so much. Where are they now? But it's like, that's the whole point of like growing up is like, you have to change. You change with the people and these people float in and out of your lives. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very good existential crisis movie. Um, like it kind of guaranteed to send you spiraling at least a little bit. Jordan had the audacity to think that I wouldn't like this movie because I had never seen it before this uh, research session yes. um, because I famously don't like movies about daddy issues. Yes. And I would just like to say for the record, this is definitely my favorite movie that I've ever seen that involves daddy issues. And oh, good. is maybe like Thank God. The, the number one movie that I will like accept. Great. It's handled so gracefully. Exactly. And, oh my God. You know, and in a way. And crushingly. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, what is this? Maybe 10 minutes of the overall film you know if that maybe yeah and but it it leaves a mark and it's it's done so economically that's uh that's a that's a product of reiner and um his screenwriter at that time you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's a masterful adaptation and john cusack too coming in and really being like such a supporting powerful like I don't think without casting him or like having a presence like that on the screen that the relationship would come across as much. The great like they really sell the Gordy Denny like relationship so hard that you believe that he like meant so much to him and you can feel like the loss and like his father like you get like you see at the table scene where you're like oh the dad has like invested all of his stock into Denny and just does not care about Gordy or Gordy's career. And so like when Denny's dead, you just can feel like, okay, like even if it's been like four months, you understand completely all the weight that the father has just like thrust onto Gordy. Oh, it's so crushing. And I mean, like, I'm not a monster. I'm not going to be like, <laughs> oh, you're 12 when you think your father doesn't love you. <laughs> Loser. Like, it's so Go take upsetting. a walk on a railway. Maybe go touch some grass and maybe you'll feel better. Like, it's like, it's... <laughs> It's deeply upsetting. I don't think I've ever even heard of someone that doesn't like Stand By Me. You know, I do not want to hear from this person. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would getting into a physical confrontation of an argument with somebody yes. that was just like, fuck, fuck Stand By Me. Like, how could you even say such a thing? But um, it's, it, it is one of those movies that does seem like universally beloved. Like, have you, Eric, have you ever talked to someone that doesn't like Stand By Me? No, I mean I'm sure that there's Good. some uh, like Beth Grant there, kind of character from uh, Donnie Darko. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's gonna be some church lady that that's like, oh, there's there's too much cursing, it's bad. 
Um, but no, I mean, nobody that I know that proclaims to be any kind of movie fan or, in, I mean, anybody I know that's watched it, I can't think of a, a person. I'm sure they exist. There's, there's always they people must. that'll be yes. out there to be contrarian, but, um, you know, but I mean, it's the same thing like with, uh, you're talking about Robert in this era, just doing banger after banger. It's like, I can't, I'm mad, I can't think, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that didn't like Princess Bride either, you oh, know? Yeah. Right. I mean, so I mean, it's like, you know it's a it's like he just seemed or to be like everything up until north you know was really like that's, he was yeah that's where on he went, uh, misery i was gonna say then it's when like, harry met sally right i was gonna say after north it's a really nice downhill slide <laughs> that, <laughs> that run though is, but, but you know, uh something i want i was just gonna say legendary. that run is legendary yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah something we all should aspire for yeah yeah all right but but I, something I want to go back to and that might be interesting is that we we had like I mentioned we had Will Wheaton on the show and we did different seasons which uh, is the King uh, novella collection that has yeah. the body in it. Um, it also has At Pupil and uh, Shawshank Redemption and Rita Hayworth in the Shawshank Redemption and then one that's never been adapted called The Breathing Method um, and. Uh, when we got to the body section and we were talking about Stand By Me, Will was saying that, like, when people say, oh, that the part of me is in that character, he's like, no, I was Gordy, down mm-hmm. to the fact, down to the daddy issues you were talking about, down to the fact that that he was the unloved brother. Like, his brother was the one that, that got all the attention, even though Will was the star of the family. And, it, like, with his father, like, he he's like, that relationship that Gordy has with his father is almost exactly the one that I had with my father. And what I love about it is that it is true that it's most, that that's what really happens. That That's the real emotional abuse that happens. It's not going to be, you know, the dude that always gets drunk and then beats up his kid or whatever. Like that does happen, of course. And it's, it's not, you know, any less tragic for, you know, when it does. But like, I think the more common thing is just that coldness yes. that just that mm-hmm. house is empty for, for Gordy. There is nothing for him there. His mom is, is lost in grief and his dad never loved him to begin with and and always loved his brother more. And, and that's why that, that all resonates so well when you have that nightmare sequence that gordy has where he's at his brother's funeral and his dad says it should have been you because his father never in a million years i'm sure even that character if that real character would ever say that but he says it with his actions right all the time and gordy picks up on it and 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 you know manifest that in the nightmare and it's just authentic it plays as real like the recognizable you know, I grew up in a in a loving you know home, but it's like I recognize that I I viewed that as real. That that is something that happens in real life. Oh. You know, even when I was a kid, I viewed viewed it that way. Yeah, like his critique of his art and sort of like the putting down of it, like and sort of like the casting it aside. I feel like resonated a lot personally with me, where it's just like if you have a father figure or your father, and like you want to like be showing them something, but it's not what they think that you should be doing or like not up to like what they think is like worthy of like art and sort of not necessarily like stating it to you like this is terrible like this is bad but it's just as you were saying like the coldness and sort of just the like brushing off that leaves you just like left sort of like feeling like you're like empty and that then that's why you like go create these friendships or you go find like a Chris where they're able to then validate you to be like it is 
like you're loved and like your art is great or like whatever it may be. It's like you find that if your like father or parent is absent, then you have those friendships to help like carry you forward. I will also just say it's there's a very queer sensibility to being like my parents don't you know feel about me the way that I want them to so like I have to look to found family and friends instead and also I don't think there's any like queer kid that grew up in the middle of nowhere in like a town like this one in stand by me it like castle rock that was that wasn't like I need to get out of here I need to go I need to like be creative just for a little bit to figure out who I am because I can't figure it out right now right like there is definitely something to be said for that aspect of it too. Right. Where um, everyone in town knows who you are, including like a guy selling deli meats or whatever, you know, after you've been walking oh, for however long. Oh, your brother's long. this person and right. your parents are these people. Yeah. Right. It's, oh God, it's terrible. Like, I think we all want to escape that in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. Yeah. You were saying earlier that you think your folks would have showed you Stand By Me if you had been a boy, right? Yeah. So... Is there any is there any equivalent for you mm. like cinematically is there another film that sort of captures that feel that's about young women That's a really good question, a question. Um I honestly I have a podcast <laughs> We love to hear it <laughs> I don't know I think the closest one for me personally my parents are also very much like classics fans so like I grew up in the like late 90s early aughts they definitely weren't showing me anything that was like released in 2003 or whatever I think the closest thing for me was Little Women mm. um the Winona Ryder Susan Sarandon version um and what do you think of the too. new one I love the new one personally I like grew up with that book I love the interpretation I think it like really changes the ending in a beautiful way I'm sure I could like talk ad nauseum for like two and a half hours about all my feelings about that (laughs) book but I think that that is sort of like a kind of like enduring piece of literature about like what it's like to grow up as a girl with the same sort of like idea that you're going to have responsibilities eventually and like how to avoid the responsibilities, even if it's not necessarily about like being married off. Um, But there's still like, you know, I feel like that little women talks a lot about like the societal pressures of like, even if you're, even if the the question is not marrying for love versus marrying for money, it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to get married and have kids? Are you going to go have a career? Like, are you going to fulfill some sort of domestic role or are you going to like work against your gender? And then like what comes with working against your gender and like all that entails. So I think that's the closest one I would say Mm. for me. I'll have to think about it though. Yeah. Yeah. Begs the question too is, you know, in this King Renaissance that we're having is like so many of his untapped works are being made or his new works and you know how the film industry works and remaking stuff it's fascinating and I really hope that it doesn't get remade, but that this movie has sort of remained timeless and hasn't yeah, had the re like the reover. And while like I loved Doctor Sleep and I think that that was a really fascinating building off of like the shining and stuff like that. But like I am curious. I it's just I just think it's a very interesting thing that this hasn't been remade. Um, because I fear like it would just sort of become like an eighties nostalgia thing, but we've sort of like had like Stranger Things is ostensibly like a remake of like this and it and sort of like all, you know, the King things. But like if they were, I feel like we're so 80s doubt and I feel like that's where they would set it if it would be. They would have to. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't resonate with modern audiences if 
it right. was in the 50s. Right. Like you can't set it in like the early 2000s. My attitude with remakes is always like, doesn't erase the original. I'll go right. see it. You know, what the fuck? Oh, for Why sure. Not? That said, if they remade Stand By Me, I think there'd be blood in the fucking streets. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> absolutely no one wants to see Stand By Me remade. It, no. it would be like remaking Jaws or, or Raiders of the Lost Ark or. Right you know, Pulp Fiction or something, you know, like you just don't, there's some stones that you don't overturn. And I, I, I would be dumbfounded if someone had the, had the balls to come along and, and a, attempt to mount a, a Stand By Me remake set in the 80s. Yeah. It's People like yeah. furious about that, I think. I oh, do totally. think it is in that like upper echelon of like, you just don't touch right. this. Kind Which of, is also yeah. Reiner's like, Princess Bride, Harry Met Sally. Like, you're not going to probably He's remake those ones either. What, <laughs> so what like, can we say? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think he was very, very... He's very, like, versatile, obviously, as a director, but even approaching, like uh, Eric was saying earlier, about, like, casting these kids to their yes. characters. Like, having everyone basically just be their characters and, like, letting them run around in the woods. Like, that just like actor sensibility right yeah. like a huge part of why this movie works so well um because kid actors you know it well, goes I mean, so bad it's so like, quickly you when do you have a movie that has full like honestly like i don't think any of them give a bad performance oh, like no they're question. all giving no, no, no. phenomenal child performances and i think that most movies with kid actors would kill for one good kid actor like this never I mean, mind like all four let's let's be fair there are plenty of great child actors oh, like sure. out there i don't think right. there's been no, like no, a no. huge fall but off it's or anything. so difficult it's very difficult yeah to yeah. find especially like for like river phoenix i mean like granted you know we lost him so it's early and he gave so many phenomenal performances but it's like the emotional like depth and maturity that he has is just under like overwhelming and like the comedic timing that some of these kids have so it's just it's fucking good movie yeah good movie, good movie. <laughs> great movie <laughs> one of the best wow do you should we have any other scenes or thoughts i guess on stand by me before we move to the next segment i feel like we've we've sort of have covered we, stood? we have stood we've covered all of the good nostalgia like there are so many little moments um obviously like we highly recommend this movie but it was very popular when it came out um which is a huge plus it platformed up from limited release but then it spent seven weeks ping-ponging between number one and number two which is crazy like oh my god like Remember it was just movies up there play in theaters for longer than like five weeks yeah <laughs> this played for a good a good six months that is um, oh my god yeah and like i it, need to see this in the theater it was in the like the top five for like nine weeks it's crazy um so very well received um domestically obviously uh with a little bit of oscar attention adapted screenplay nod but nothing else which is honestly a little Shocking. rude but whatever um i mean the vfx in this like with the train oh blew, yeah i mean it blows my mind how good the train and the car crash and everything look like it really looks pretty goddamn seamless like when they're being chased and everything yeah it's like oh my god these kids are gonna get run over very very smart editing and like smart you know, camera moves, obviously the super long lens, mm -hmm. all those like great I mean, 80s the, tricks. So luscious. Just the the greens in this movie. Oh my God. Yeah. We talked about how this is kind of like the quintessential summer movie and yeah. like it totally is. It just captures that kind of like nice, slightly breezy, but 
warm and sunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but like late summer where, you know, school's about to start. Mm-hmm. That kind of the going back to the grind is hanging over everybody. And yeah, it definitely it captures the feeling that I had in, in summers where like I, I wasn't, I didn't hate school, especially middle school. You know, um, I, I, got, I got pretty sick of school by the time I was about halfway through high school. Or I'm just like, what am I wasting my life sitting here in this classroom, you know, <laughs> learning something I'm never going to use. Oh, you don't use everything you learned in high school? <laughs> I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, no, but I still had that feeling where like, I loved freedom. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm also the kid who was always a night owl too. So I love being able to stay up all night and, and I hate waking up early in the morning. It is still to this day, even when I'm on a morning schedule, I fucking hate it. I, you know, I, the being there in the world's just slowly waking up. I hate it. It's, it's so like, I, I, I like to wake up and jump right into the day. That's, that's, that's my that, that, that's my ideal so like just from that perspective there was always that bummer where it's just like man my days aren't my own anymore and you know and i i get i maybe it's just me using the movie as a um you know it, maybe the movie is merging into my own experiences but like when i think back on those times where i was about to go back to school the feeling i have is that little bittersweet feeling i have is is what i feel like when i watch stand by me it's the tone of of, uh, especially the end of that movie yeah i think we would get along very well because i'm also like a night owl and i hate waking up but jordan is one of those insane people that like goes running at 6 a.m every day well it's Um, so fucked up except for the running part (laughs) yeah i'm not going running anyway well i used to be a night owl in like somewhere in my like it would be like 3 a.m 4 a.m every day and then somehow like it just changed like i don't know when it fucking happened and now that i'm wake, i'm it it's so weird it's absurd i don't understand life, how you do it. life changes as you keep aging it's so weird whoa <laughs> the nostalgia for staying up until 3 a.m and honestly, having an unhealthy lifestyle absolutely <laughs> wait until you're 90 like me and you're going to bed at motherfucking nine o'clock at night and waking up at five for literally no reason well I go to bed at like 10.45 now, 10.30, and I'm like, this is a great bedtime. I was going to say, Jordan I is would love fast a, I would love a 10.30, maybe an 11 bedtime with mm. like an 8 o'clock wake up. Mm. There's that sounds very ideal. nothing happening at 5 in the morning. And then yeah. in, inevitably, it, it kind of works out because uh, Eric usually sleeps late and is like doing his, his you know, uh, chores uh later in the day whereas i'm sort of knocking out whatever i need earlier in the day but between one and the other of us uh we've always got someone like monitoring the kingcast feed or someone there to answer emails or or whatever yeah it's like double productivity but still i would i would like to be waking up a little bit later but um sleep schedule shit gets real weird uh when you're older and especially like fucking over the last year where nothing made sense it didn't it literally didn't matter when you woke up or went to bed so it was yep fun 30 days of night or some shit it was a a truly nightmare year yeah and years that were happening it was (laughs) for sure great time no nostalgia for that no yeah yeah i don't think anyone have any nostalgia for 2020 or 2021 Mm. at all but speaking of of nostalgia yeah clean transitions so i have a little game for you guys according to box office mojo stephen king himself uh is a brand and a genre uh you know 
unto himself. And so, you know, just you guys as the, the King cast and us doing a King episode, I thought that we would see if we could guess the top 10 highest grossing Stephen King movies. So these are according to Box Office Mojo. We've done this before. And so what we'll do is we'll go around to each guest, each guest to have a guess. Uh, and we'll have a three strikes, you're out policy. But with three of you, I think you guys we'll can able get to able get to get through this. Are we trying to do them in order? No, just if you can get what's in if the top ten. If you can 10. get one on the list. Yep. Yeah. So sort of kind of like, you know, like family feud kind of rules, you know. Word. So Let's... as our guests, mm-hmm. would one of you like to lead off? I'll do Either it. Either or. Wampler's Beautiful. got it. Yeah, you're you're going to get the number one, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's go, Scott, we'll Eric, and then me. Why? I'm already blanking. Why? Do, you <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to go first? See, it's not trivia, though. I'll I'll say uh, this is box office run, right? Right. This isn't yeah. like yes. a cumulative thing over no. however many years. Lifetime gross. So adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation. Yeah. But still, just box office. But still you know, box we're office. not talking yeah, not like... DVD sales or like merch or anything like that. Yeah. Well, it. Yes. Yes. As number one. Let's get that yeah. one. Well, I did get it, Eric. See, I knew yeah. what I was doing all along. Was, if, if you were go. if you were stuck, I was going to do that. Then you can go it chapter two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eric, would you like your chapter guess one to be made like chapter a billion two? dollars? And I think it chapter two was like less, but it was still in the like it was like seven hundred million range. Uh, a lot of money. So in chapter two. Yes. Ding ding ding. Number two is it chapter two? Okay. Yep. All right. I mean, Brooke. if we're going to keep right, going. The big ones are off the board. Yes. Uh, the Shining. The Shining. No. No. Okay. Brooke with a strike. One strike for me. It was a bomb when it came out. I didn't. Oh, yeah. Scott, back to you. Were you looking at I? Were you looking at Box Office Mojo, Scott? Was that what no, you were looking down there for? Phil is bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what was the last one? I guess the shining. Brooke guessed the shining, which was a, an incorrect answer. Uh, I'm gonna go Green Mile. Green Mile number three. Beautiful, Eric. Going down the list. Uh, I might break the list here, but uh, 1408 was a, a, a big mm, uh, Stephen King yes. thing. But that's probably like down you, the list. You say 1408, more like number four. Seriously? You guys are getting. Here we go. We're I am them out. beyond impressed right now. God damn, um, Brooke. Okay. Don't don't swing and miss here. The Shawshank Redemption. Brooke, no. Not on the list. <laughs> An- another so one. Upsetting. It didn't make another any money bomb. until it was nominated for Oscars. Yeah. It As is, you it can is see, number one on IMDb, so you know. It's number one. As you can see, I only saw four movies growing yes. up. Yes. It's very clear. Okay. Let's go. Back, back to, to you. Scott. Naming Shawshank the best was, ones. Yeah. 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 Naming the critically acclaimed. Shawshank yeah. was totally like an ancillary thing, though. You know, like people bought it on DVD afterwards. TNT made that movie. Yeah. Yeah, they fucking did. They play it for dads every 15 minutes. Oh, As absolutely. They should, yeah. It's the dad movie. Yeah, it's how you sue the dad. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> like, play, put on Shawshank Redemption. He'll calm down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you play it for Chris's dad. It's, it's like giving Sloth a baby Ruth. Yeah. It it chapter two. Yes. Green Mile fourteen oh eight. Green Mile fourteen oh eight. Pet Cemetery. Yes. Okay. Which one? The first one. Yes. 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 Are they the same, right? Or Uh, the same title? Yeah, both are pet cemetery, Yeah. yeah. Correct. Pet Which Cemetery is, oh, I thought you were. I thought you were talking about Pet Cemetery too, because I forgot about the remake again. 
Pet Cemetery number Whoops. one. Well, the the original correct at number seven. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have a five. You have a five, a six, eight, nine, ten. Um, well, you, we mentioned earlier that Stand By Me was in theaters for six months, so I would assume Stand By Me would be on this list. Correct, at number eight. Okay. All right. All right. Brooke, don't swing <sighs> and miss your so kid. This is so stressful. Um, okay. I actually don't know how well this movie did, but it's probably another bomb. Go for D it. Did Dr. Sleep make it on here? Brooke, no, it I'm did. out. No, that oh movie my God. did not make money. <laughs> Famously, did not make much money. This is so deeply Great embarrassing. Great movie, didn't make much. Deeply, deeply. Remember though, Rose did have a hat. She did. She had a hat. Uh, All right. I'm gonna go. She Carrie. had a hat so badass it became part of her name. Carrie, yeah. no. What? I'm sorry, Scott. That's number thirteen. Disgusting. Eric. Hmm. What could be the fifth? Yeah. Oh, I'm it's looking a... at it, and now I know, and I feel dumb. Yeah. Why are you looking at the list? You're playing the game. Oh, oh I'm out. out. Three she strikes? She's eliminated. Oh, three strikes. I'm done, Zo. But I will say it, number five has a link to this episode. Mm. Oh. Oh, misery. There we go. You, you, yes. You, you bailed me out there. Yeah. She tossed you a line. Yeah. She didn't break your leg. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was juggling a couple of titles, but yes, for sure. What you guys have left is seven, or wait, yes. Seven. Seven, nine, and 10. Okay. Mm. I will say these ones are a little bit more shocking, or I don't know, maybe we'll see. As king experts, I think. Maximum <laughs> overdrive, Scott. Say maximum overdrive. Uh, I'm so tempted, even though I know it's not true. <laughs> um, fuck my butt. Um, like... <laughs> God damn, this is this is time. I could right? throw you a hint I was if you gonna want. say, I feel like it's time to Scott, ah. Scott deserves ants. I got ants. Yeah. So Scott, you guessed this title already. You said Carrie was in number thirteen. Yeah. Correct. I did. But I guessed another one? Yes. I that's kind of a bad that's clue. A, uh, okay. Um what's a clue for this one? Oh, I don't know. The t the title or uh, Should we should we bail him out? We'll bail you out. The title's misspelled. Oh my god. That's another Sorry. terrible hit. Inglorious bastards. Fuck. Um, okay. <laughs> it's it's. Let's just say it's. It's uh, the Pet Cemetery remake. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. There you go. Sorry. So it's it's six and seven are Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery. Oh wow! I, I didn't know. realize huh. that the Pet Cemetery remake. Nor did I. Funny. I was. That's shocked. interesting. Huh. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. So I wonder I, they're doing a prequel. Yeah. Literally, Eric. Nine and ten. Could if I asked for a hint, could I get? Is it serious or or horror? Uh, serious. Hmm. Both, I would say, are serious, less horror. But one of them is kind of like fantasy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, we know it's not the Dark Tower. Surprise. <laughs> It is the dark, is the dark tower. tower. What? Yes, at number nine. Well, that was my guess, but uh, ah, of course, it you jumped the line, Scott. We'll give it. We'll give it to you both. All right. Can you guess number ten? We'll lump it together if you guys want. This is one. This say, serious you take thing? this one. I'm sorry. It's I serious. On your it's, this one's serious. Yeah. Let's see. 
I did not know when I saw this movie that it was a Stephen King movie. I've I'll never say heard that. of I was joking movie. when I, I said Dark Tower. Now I have another joke for this one, and now I'm worried that <laughs> it's, it's going to be correct. Uh, it, could it be Hearts in Atlantis? No. Mm. Dolores Claymore. No. Don't tell us. Okay. I believe in you. Well, you said it's serious, so it can't be Dreamcatcher. <laughs> uh, let's see. What, what other serious... It is not Children of the Corn. I have truly never heard of this movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen this movie. Oh. It's early aughts. Uh, now, now, Scott, we're in this together, so... Yeah. Okay, early aughts. Not, not Hearts in Atlantis. Not. I wouldn't say early aughts, because that might say... I would like early to mid aughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I don't even know who the fuck it's directed by. This movie cannot exist. Yeah, this uh, it doesn't exist. It has a poster. It stars a canceled ah, actor. That's a good hint. Yeah, it stars a canceled the actor. Secret window. Correct. Ah, there we go. Yes. We got there. There you go. Wow, that is well, a never window made the top list. ten. I never I, in a yeah. million years would have guessed that. I know. Truly, I can't believe that one that movie made money and two that it exists. Yeah. And three that it's like I completely was like, oh, this is a Stephen King property. Cool. Oh yeah. Anyway, from uh, Four Past Midnight. Uh, David Kep directed that i think yeah, he's the guy yeah. that did stir of echoes and he wrote uh uh jurassic park i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i like that movie johnny depp is a huge douche but i i like that movie i'll have to rewatch. i feel it's sort got of john same. turturro as the bad guy we have to Ooh. stand maria Ooh. bello is chilling in, in like there. an like an amish hat or some shit and it's just <laughs> yeah. like you know good you sell. stole my story yeah it's so good <laughs> that's amazing Wow. What a wild list that was. I know, honestly, shook. I can't believe Pet Cemetery, the remake, actually made money. Yeah, crazy. All right. I'm, so... I'm shocked to hear those were neck and neck, those two. I know. Because Dr. Sleep should have made more money, but. What's the what's the difference between the original Pet Cemetery and yeah. the remake? So the original made 57 and the uh, remake made 54. And that's adjusted, right? That's adjusted, yeah. So. Pretty much the same. That's fucking wild. I feel like the new Pet Cemetery came out at a good time. Like there was absolutely nothing in theaters. That is true. It came I out... did see it in an empty theater though. Like right. there was me and no one else. <laughs> yeah. It was in like a nice dead zone. It was also post it. So people were just really hungry for Stephen King stuff. And, right. And uh, it's a yeah. classic title. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting and a great game. trailer. But now, it's Jordan, really oh, good trailer. before they ruined the trailer. Do you remember the second before trailer? Before they ruined the, the, the yeah. twist, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they showed, yeah. So terrible. First trailer, perfect. Yeah, I totally A agree mess. with you. But that opening with all the creepy kids and the animal masks, like, yeah, doing the, like, was so exciting. Then it turned yeah. out oh, that had God. nothing to do with the movie. Right, just a cool visual. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, no. Okay, well, now again. we get to turn the game around oh, on no. Jordan. Um, uh, and Scott and Eric, you are welcome to put in a guess. But unlike the box office game, it is not required. It all depends on how familiar you are with Letterboxd. But Jordan, why don't you go ahead and put in a guess in the average Letterboxd rating for Stand By Me? I'm going to be... I usually think that Letterboxd users are you know, more bro-y or will look down upon certain things. But I'm going to say, I'm hoping that this is more of a classic. So I'm going to say that it has a 3-9. Okay. I'm going to be very positive. All right. I hope. Either Scott or Eric, would you care to hazard a guess? Um, I'm going to say 4.1. Okay. Okay. I'm going to price this right this in 4.2. Okay. 
because we talked we talked so much about how there's not a single person that we've ever met in our lives that doesn't right like that's but true we also we also agreed that there might be lunatics who said otherwise and when i think of letterbox i think of ill-informed film bros like using this thing to fucking you know do bad takes. But, so but if, yes, man, this, this if is we can find Gordy those and Chris people. are bros, man. They're they're bros. Yeah. They're bros. Um, I have good news. One of you is correct. Oh my goodness! Congratulations to Scott. It is a hey. four point uh, one. Wait, that's amazing. Yeah, a, a lot, lot of people. Now. Yeah, <laughs> everyone on Letterbox is great. No qualms. I'll take back everything I just said. Yeah, I think people on Letterbox mostly have good taste about this movie in particular. It has twelve K reviews and over two hundred and sixty thousand people have watched it so i feel like Beautiful. it's like kind of like a hallmark do you have letterbox pulled up right now oh i do oh i do can you look at some of the one stars okay let's see if i can find some good one star i want to hear reviews. i want to hear some of them make me real mad all right let's see i feel like there's not many so hopefully i think a, mo a lot of people are like trolling or whatever um okay <clears throat> some classic half star and one star reviews total shit for a horror film was their <laughs> script supervisor sick that's a good joke every day? i know right aged terribly uses slurs Thank you oh, so much for that. Okay. Now, now that I'm used to hearing. A celebration of all that is boomer. A treatise on why the boomers have laid waste to both our planet and our society. <laughs> That's Missing the point, funny. bro. Those yeah. kids ruined the environment. They got really into NFTs. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teddy would totally be an NFT guy. Oh, no question. Teddy, Teddy would have stormed the Capitol. He stormed the Capitol. He's been red pill. He's been Dogecoin or whatever the fuck. <laughs> He was counting down the seconds for Musk to be on SNL. He was like, this is <laughs> it. He defends him on Twitter. Oh, absolutely. It's a whole yeah. thing. Um, and finally, final review that I think is just like really just great. Rolled my eyes for 90 minutes. I know you're not supposed to punch kids, but like, wow. what is this? <laughs> just going to lay Gordy out, you fucking loser. I know. So there we go. But luckily... Ace Merrill was the hero <laughs> of this goddamn story, and I won't hear anything yeah. else about it. Eyeball standum only. This oh, is great... eyeball chambers. This is wow. a great bit. Great know. bit. 10 looking out of 10. The, looking up the worst... <laughs> the worst reviews the worst for great letterbox <laughs> takes. On the best movies is a great bit. You could do a whole show on that. We should keep going back to this. Yeah, yeah. we should. Thank you for this. Thank there you. are some gems on there. I would also just like to say that a lot of the top reviews for Stand By Me on Letterboxd involve some variation of, oh my God, Gordy and Chris are in love. Like if fan fiction was around in 1986, they would have been topping the charts, that kind of shit. Oh, for so, sure. I think um, you convinced us here today. <laughs> That's the goal. I was going to say that's a good segue because uh, we're all going to go around and give what we like to call our QQ rating, our queer quadrant rating, which is basically the same letterbox scale, you know, just like one to five stars, how you feel about like specifically the queer themes of this movie. Um, okay. I've been thinking give about this a off. lot. Let's go. I don't know. I feel really good about this movie. I feel like I want to give it three stars, like down the middle, but like a yeah. little bit of a plus. Little I don't know. Hello. I feel like the the relationship is just like 
very special and very intimate. And like we said, I think there is a lot of great ways to interpret what it means to like this small town community as a whole and like to people that are queer that grew up in this kind of environment. Um, And I mean, the performances are just like so tender and like able to convey things that are very difficult to convey, especially for child actors. And I think like it captures a very specific portrait of, you know, being on this preteen cusp um, that I think has a lot of queer sensibility to it. So that's, those are my thoughts. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Three, three sounds good to me. I was going to say three for me as well. It's like, look at that, which is a bunch of hand-holding threes. Across the board. Um, it really is, I think, as we've discussed, and you guys brought up the point about, like, outsiders. And I think that no, even though, you know, we have a jock in this movie with John Cusack, he still sort of feels like he's so nice to the outsiders. And, like, throughout everything is, like, as you had mentioned, it's, it's sort of everyone has their own read. And so like with this movie, while I had grown up watching it and never necessarily like viewed it through the queer lens to like hone in on that or like watch it just for that. I think it's like sort of that thing. That's like why King has sort of always resonated with me is that there's always someone that we can latch onto like an outsider. Cause I think like we're all inherently whether you're queer or not, I think there's something about feeling like an outsider no matter what. And so like with this movie, like rewatching it, it was really interesting to sort of view through that lens. And so it really did resonate more. And I think I'm like very fascinated now to go back through his works, like whether books or movies and like sort of start to rewatch them and feel like how that, you know, changes over time. Yeah. Yeah. This was a very eye opening episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To your point, I, I could totally, if Denny had survived, I could totally have bought him being, uh, like, coming out to his father when he's, like, 30 years old, right? And his father disowning him. Oh, for sure. That's not what he wants wants to be. But, like, I could totally buy Denny as being, as, you know, being a, a closeted character. Um, you know, but, I, it, yeah, I, I don't know. It feels a little bit weird to like anybody that shows emotion and empathy. You of know? course, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't saying Denny. Yeah, you know, like I, I don't know about that. But but to no, your no, point, no. Though, like with the Chris with the Chris and Gordy relationship, if that like scene where either the scene because there's two scenes where they they confide in each other and one in each scene one of them cries. Yeah. So it's the the Chris Chambers that like adults betrayed me scene and and i'm nobody and i'm never going to be anything scene and he cries um and then gordy has the my my dad hates me scene and he cries and they're both there for each other if either one of those scenes had ended with them kissing it wouldn't have changed anything else in the movie right so the like nothing changes in that relationship you know uh as portrayed uh so you know i i will uh, agree to you with your your guys is like kind of down the middle where it's not really explicitly coded queer coded i don't think and i don't think intentionally queer coded i think no, chris is no. very much meant to be uh the the stand-in brother it's he he For is sure. the denny that 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 he doesn't have um but uh but i do love seeing that angle to to all of it we've talked about this a lot before but it's like really nice it's that like double-edged sword when you're talking about sort of like reading into things because it is so nice sometimes just to have male representation and friendship on screen that are just completely platonic, healthy male relationships. Like that is so cool to see a lot of the time, because also something that we 
don't always get, which is, you know, we do like, you know what I mean? Cause men have dominated cinema, whatever, but it's like, it is always <laughs> nice to see a healthy relationship on screen. Um, so it is that like line that we walk, but, yeah. um, this movie does well, a great job. I also don't see Either male way. and female relationships that are completely platonic too, which oh my is, God, is yeah. rare, I think. <laughs> right. But, you know, see, seeing that it, it always one has the crush on the other, like that's, you know, always how it has to go. But like there's rare occasions where that's not the case and it's, it's lovely. Right. They can just be pals. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's so nice. And it is like very rare. And that's, you know, that's something that we talk about a lot where it's like, it's so great that they're close friends and there's also a queer reading, but it's so great that they're close friends. Like that is definitely (laughs) something that we have to waffle back and forth on a little bit, but such is the nature of as with podcasting, you know? Oh, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Scott, Eric, thank Thank you you guys so so much (laughs) for being here. This is great. Love being here. Truly a delight to have you. Oh my God. It was our pleasure, please. Truly. And everyone should obviously listen to KingCast and everything else that you guys do. And if they're so inclined, where can they find you? Uh, You can find us on Twitter at at KingCast19. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash the KingCast. You can find me on Twitter at at ScottWamplerBMD. I do not recommend that you follow me. Please do not do that. I counter great follow. <laughs> uh, yes, my, mine is my Twitter is at Eric Vespe. Just my name, V E S P E. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice. And Eric spelled with the C like it's supposed to. Damn it! All those Eric's with the K's out there ruining everything. We had we had Eric Anderson on from Awards Watch, and I think he said the exact opposite thing, where he was like, "I spell my name with a K, the correct way." So, um, we'll y'all, are, y'all are beefing now, Eric. You're yeah. Beefing. Yep. I just yeah, created some beef just, for you. Let's flame some Twitter wars. I love this. <laughs> Fanning Team the flames. C. Team C. We're also on Twitter. Oh my God. If you would care to follow us. We are. I'm at Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And we are together at Queer Quadrant. And you can find this podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, Please rate, review, subscribe. Tell us what you think about this movie if you have any thoughts on nostalgia or you know the crushing burden of adulthood um and then also tweet at us and let us know what you would like to see us cover next absolutely speaking of covering what are we next, covering next uh next week for a completely different change of pace um we are talking oh about the famed Zack snyder vehicle 300 Ooh. um it's gonna be a good time we're taking a trip that movie's to... gay as hell dude thank <laughs> you <laughs> you know what i don't think we even need to do an episode done <laughs> We're just gonna gonna play the sound bite. Please don't run me saying that because then I'm gonna get demolished by Snyder Bros or some bullshit for about a week. It totally is. Yeah. I Uh, have I I have eyeballs. I am so fascinated to rewatch that movie, having not seen it since like the year two thousand seven or eight or whenever it came out. I have no idea how that thing is aged. So you know what's interesting about that? Just like a very quick side note here. Before we wrap up, he was going to write uh, a third installment of that. Yes. I found out recently. And it was going to be like a, a male romance. You know, yep. so for anyone that's like 300 wasn't gay, you're just imagining it. Like, come on, bro. Like from the man himself, we know that the third chapter was going to be was going to be uh, queer as hell. So he like said, we'll we'll get into it. But he's like pretty explicit about 300. where He was like, yeah, I was trying to make it gay. Yeah, there's he's so Everything that he does is so fascinating, but I think especially when he like really gets in the trenches with like, what do cinema goers like to feel when they see movies is like a, just a whole can On of On the worms. nose needle drops, yeah. baby. 
Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> um, anyway, wow. so tune in next week for those thoughts, plus a whole bunch more new thoughts. Very excited. Um, Jordan, Any- do you have- Oh, do you have anything? Because I got something. I was going to say, Brooke, do you have anything? Okay. As a final note, I would just like to say, if I'm going to do anything from Stand By Me, if I could like pick something to recreate today in the year 2021, dude, I want to play mailbox baseball. The it looks warmers. awesome. Yeah. It does. It looks so fun. So I think all kids should try that at one point or another. I should probably not so, admit to anything on on, like on a recording. It's just, it's like the the um the jinx where you like admit right at the end. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. he he's pissing and he just goes the, the mailboxes. My friends and I had a version of that that was just as destructive. But um, you know, those days are behind me. I'm very mellow now. As we know, you're 90. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's, in fact, it's time for uh, uh, Pop-Pop to go to bed. <laughs>